Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello again, Sixpack family. Welcome back to The Cantankerous Catholic, episode 129. Well, this week I'm doing a special episode. Well, actually, nine priests are doing it. I realize that many of you are members of Church Militant, but most of you aren't. Last week, Michael Voris had nine persecuted priests on camera talking about their bishops and the hierarchy across the country. They explained how they have been abused and how they're still being abused. I had planned to do a different show this week, but I'm putting it off until next week. I really think you need to hear what these good and faithful priests have to say, so I'm running nothing but this once-in-a-lifetime priestly summit. There won't be any commercials or other regular segments. When the summit ends with the applause, this episode will end. If you want to financially support these priests in their battles with their bishops, the links to do that will be in my show notes. I strongly encourage you to help them. Before the interview, I want to tell you that next week's episode will be about Catholics in general, and there are a lot of things I'm going to talk about that you have never heard before. You won't want to miss it, especially after having heard these persecuted priests. Now let's drop in on Michael and the nine persecuted priests. I'm Michael Voris. Tuesday of this week, Church Millington did something that has never before happened in the history of the church in the United States— perhaps the world, we hosted not one, not two, but nine persecuted priests all at the same time to let you hear their collective stories of pain and suffering at the hands of the hierarchy. Some of them you've heard of, others maybe not as much, but their pain, their struggles to serve the church, which is all each one of them wants to do, is palpable. These men represent literally hundreds of other priests from all over the country who, because of the way our blessed Lord structured his church, have no recourse except to be at the whims of corrupt or cowardly bishops. All over the country, hundreds and hundreds of faithful men who have given up everything to be instruments of our blessed Lord to lead us to heaven are being persecuted by bishops for nothing more than being faithful. The following interview is a bit long, and at times it is difficult to listen to, but we cannot stress too heavily just how important it is you hear from them as a group. Please listen to the stories and the pleas of your priests who desire nothing more than your salvation. This has to end. All right, fathers, thank you for coming. You've come from different parts of the country and uh, even here in the Archdiocese of Detroit. Uh, We have you here because every one of you has experienced or is experiencing currently some version of uh, what we have labeled and others Episcopal tyranny. Uh, You've all been put on ice 
uh, or are currently going through some sort of canon law thing or whatever the case is, many of your various stages of this, you, Father Perone, have had the distinction in the group here of being uh, the only priest and one of the very few priests who's actually had your case vindicated in Rome. And yet here you still are forbidden from wearing your uh, clerics uh, and uh, presenting yourself publicly as a priest. All of you are in various types of stages of that. So just in case people who are your detractors, and there are many because of what you represent, the truth of the faith, uh, in case they want to say things about you, I'd just like to sort of go through a little clearing checklist right away. Uh, have any of you been unfaithful to your vows? No, sir. Have any of you embezzled money from your parish or any other source? No. no. Have any of you molested a child? No. Have any of you taught heresy or anything even beginning to approach it? No. no. Do all of you believe every single thing the Catholic Church teaches? Yes. Absolutely, yes. And why are you sitting here? Why are you iced? Why have your bishops sidelined you and marginalized you? What, uh, anybody just feel free? Father. One of the things I've observed is that the men that are sidelined are those men that make believing in Jesus Christ attractive to normal people. So as I become aware of each of my brother's stories, these are men that had a heart for making Jesus Christ known and loved, and they were effective at doing it. So it's an odd answer, but I, I think that's part of the reason why we've been sidelined, is because we were effectively proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Which is a frightening proposition when you consider the people who sidelined you are shepherds yeah. who, would you would think, want that to happen. Fathers? Father Altman, you're never short on words. <laughs> well, that's why I'm here, probably, because I'm not that. Yeah, I always summarize it this way, that we're fathers, and those people out there are our children. And right from the get-go, I think what got me notoriety, is that a good word? That uh, I couldn't believe that shepherds of the church locked the people out and denied them. The sole reason why we exist is to bring sanctifying grace to our our families. Those are our children of all ages. And uh, so I let them have it, and, and justly so. How dare they, fathers, shepherds of the church, deny their children to be fed, to be anointed, to be baptized. What kind of fathers are they? They're not. So yeah, you could get me going. <laughs> go I think we just did. Yeah. They... <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. I mean, isn't, isn't that it? That's, we're all trying to, like he said, we're all trying to feed our families. We're all trying to teach them the truth. And as you've heard me say, I don't know how many times, how many, at what percentage are they, are these miters of the of America going to wake up? You know, if it's, if, what is it, 85%, I think you said, mm -hmm. that uh, don't even bother coming to Mass anymore? When are they going to wake up and see this little experiment they've tried for the last 50 years has failed? We've lost the faith. It's their fault. And, they're mad. And, and oddly enough, they're mad at us who are actually being very, what's the word that I was called in? No, I'm being very effective. Because 100% of the people that come into my parish believe in the real presence. Yeah. I would say that's true of probably all of you. Yeah. Father, right. Father, you want to say something? Praise be to God. I, I want to say, especially uh, in these difficult times, uh, it's I've been listening to my brother priest and, and I have a heavy heart for that because obviously I love our Lord Jesus Christ, the priest, and I love the priesthood and I love my brother priest. And it's kind of unbelievable that these things are happening in the way that they are 
And I don't know the real answer to the reason why, but I know that it's taking place. And I also feel as, as, as my brother priests, heavy in my heart for the sufferings of the people of God. And I want to give a, a word of encouragement that even though these things are taking place, we don't lose our mind to God or our heart to God. And we trust to the Lord. We just recently celebrated the Holy Feast of Pentecost. And we trust in the Holy Spirit. And even though these times are dark, we don't give up hope. Right. That's why I want to encourage the people of God. These things were prophesied uh, before in Scripture and in different uh, revelations and uh, words from our Blessed Mother Mary. And although it's unbelievable that we're enduring these times, we have hope firmly. It was just in the, this past Sunday was the 11th Sunday of Ordinary Time. And in the second letter that was read, uh, the second reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians, he said, we are courageous. And that's why I desire for the people of God that even though these things are scandalous, that we're not surprised by it, and that we strengthen our firmness of faith to the promises of the Lord. I think that's the most important thing. And, and, and when, I, when I try to grasp how it is that these things are taking place, I can't help but think to the words of the Lord Himself when He went through His passion 2,000 years ago. And when I look at the bewilderment of priests, like I take uh, encouragement and confidence from the witness of these men who are enduring these incredible hardships, and, and I can't believe that so many priests in our time are having to go through these things as well. Yeah, I think that's a real shock to many of the faithful. It that, is. Uh, that's the reason we wanted nine of you. We should say, for the record, that there were a number of other uh, priests who were wanting to come and whatever the particular circumstances they were in, they not able to get away from the parish or whatever the case was, they weren't able to... Uh, to make it here, but I mean, I think it's a fair statement to say, and I think you would agree with it if you do, uh, that your presence here really represents many other priests, uh, some of whom uh, who are actually, you know, suffering quietly, privately. They don't know that when the bishop called them in, they should have brought in a canon lawyer with them, uh, all of these sorts of things, and they've been really taken advantage of and abused and think because of your disposition uh, as men and priests that, well, if the bishop says I have to do this, I have to do it. And that's not always the case, is it? Yeah, I wanted to speak a moment with respect to how over the last, since the council, psychology has been used in a bad way to uh, shelve sideline priests. You know, um, psychology. Psychology. For example, there's good psychology and there's bad psychology. All of us know that uh, in our world today, we need good psychological institutions, programs to help people with addiction problems, various forms of mental illness and whatnot. And so throughout our country, there, every state has very good facilities for dealing with psychological issues. So there is, you know, one of the big uh, 
problems venues for sidelining priests are institutions like St. Luke, St. John Vianney, uh, Dittmer, as well as others, Alma, Guest House, here in Michigan. You know, it's, it's one thing to... And just for the sake of the viewers, Father, if I can interrupt you, these are places where, just for the curious, the numbers of you here, how many of you have either been... Uh, have either been to one of those places, has been told you have to go to one of those places, or been threatened with having to go to one of those places. Okay, look at that. That's almost unanimous, with the exception of Father Perone, who probably got told that and said no. (laughs) So eight of the nine of you have been threatened. Oh, sorry. No, I haven't been threatened yet. Yeah, maybe that's coming. (laughs) But, I mean, to this point, I think it's an important point. Uh, This is something that is largely off the radar of the faithful. Yeah. that you were accused of having mental problems, anger issues, and all of this. That's how they kind of mask over the fact that you're teaching the faith. Of course, you've got your problems. Everybody on earth has their problems. But you have to go be institutionalized for them, put away for six months at the cost of about 30000 dollars a month of lay people's money they give for the spreading of the faith, and they're using that money to essentially silence you and brand you as having mental problems and the whole bit. And then you come back to your dioceses. And if you get an assignment again, it's, in, in, you know, it's our lady of the trash heap somewhere at the very far reaches of the diocese. And you're never heard from again because you're kind of a nutcase. Is that a fair summation? Correct. So even, even more uh, noxious than that is this ruse they play for having an individual before their... Uh, institutionalized, signing off to the bishop or his protege power of attorney for medical decisions. That is something that should flagrantly never happen. I did it once in my life, and I will never do something as stupid as that again. Yeah, let, let's let's elaborate on that for a moment. Again, something, I don't even Father Altman even knew that from the look on his face. No, I did not. Now, I, as a lawyer, go. Who, your, when, who was his bishop? That's what I, Supich? No, this is going okay. back many years ago. Okay. So this okay. is uh, his predecessor. So Again, you, his predecessor, who was flat out in bed recovering from radical cancer uh, surgery. Yeah. So again, you have boys, individuals working in chanceries, uh, given the responsibility for something as sensitive as that, which should only really be limited by law to a blood relative or somebody who uh, is 100% behind you as compared to this uh, concept. I mean, imagine that. You have to sign away your rights to make your own medical determination. Is that common? Yes. I've never heard of this before. Yes. Yeah. Welcome to the club. So the, Father, I know you have some opinions on all of this. Well, I have five years of experience with this. So I was ordained a priest of Jesus Christ, thanks be to God, five years ago uh, on November 28th, 2015. And nine weeks into my assignment at the cusp of the new year in, in 2016, I was hearing confessions of confirmation students. Uh, these were teenagers, and they complained how I heard their confessions because they didn't examine their conscience. So I had to help them examine their conscience with them. And, um, you know, you cover all the Ten Commandments, and you cover the Sixth Commandment, and some feel uncomfortable. It's yes or no questions. And I know some other details that are there that I was not trained properly, but I was zealous in trying to do the work that other pastors had not done to help in catechesis, uh, just not there to help them examine their consciences to make the good confession they could. Brought in four days later with all these letters saying that I was... uh, 
grossly asking questions and confessional inappropriately. I was trying to do the best job I could uh, with the way I was trained. And um, the sentence, uh, you can go to the psychological hospital for priests or you can be permanently unassigned. And so I said, well, I want to go back into ministry, you know, so if the best way to get back to ministry is to go to the psychological hospital, uh, then they really I'll, do weaponize this. Against, they they you send know. you a folder and they say, we need you to reevaluate the priest you want to be. And they say, we don't hear confessions like that. Well, okay, well, you could have told me that in two minutes. I understand I won't do confession like that ever again. Um, you know, it could have been solved in two minutes. And instead, it turned into a five-year exile nightmare of the cross and being abandoned. And but you're um, still in. You're still in. You know, uh, there's um, the the only the, the only resolution is to live with Christ, to die with Christ, to rise with Christ, and to realize what it means to be a true priest of Jesus Christ. Is your residence is the cross? It is Calvary, and uh, to depart from Calvary is to depart from every source of grace. And so it became. Uh, because God called me to priesthood and the bishop was trying to call me out of priesthood after six months of working the program at St. John Vianney Center uh, with, at the tune of $30,000 a month, which if you do the math, it's $180,000. Uh, they labeled me with a personality disorder unspecified with narcissistic and histrionic traits so that they could say that this man is unstable for ministry. Uh, but even the John Vianney Center wanted me to go back into ministry. They said, we're we not really a threat you know, to anybody. We can go back to ministry. But then the bishop says, you're, you're not going to benefit the diocese. You know, so we need you to so work. here you sit permanently. We on need you bench. to work at Lowe's and Homa, uh, the hardware store, for the next year and go through more psychological mind rape for the next year and talk about all these issues that you surrender all of your medical rights and histories, and then the possibility of violating HIPAA goes through the roof because if the bishop and the vicar for clergy receive your hip, uh, you know, your diagnosis, they're sharing them with the insurance companies. The insurance companies see that you're a risk at some capacity, just even a whisper of a risk. And if the bishop puts you back in ministry, and let's say some incident does happen to happen, and it might even be a, it might even be a very small minor issue. Um, then all of a sudden the insurances will pull their insurance from the dioceses and the bishop is saying, well, I either defend this priest or I risk losing the insurance of the diocese. And then you realize that the bishop is a CEO of a corporation with a religious veneer and, it's, and a priest is just an employee of the corporation and you're either a benefit or a liability to the corporation. You're not a priest of Jesus Christ anymore. You're not a son of God. You don't have the dignity of a human person anymore. You're lower than a worm. And then you can fully enter into the mystery of Christ when Christ himself says, I am a worm and no man. And then you, you figure the, the, the strength of your priesthood has to come from the cross and the crucifixion of the spiritual sacerdotal side that comes from spiritual fathers of bishops destroying their priestly sons and committing priest abortion. And then so many priests leave the priesthood because of this. And other priests continue to pray heroically their masses silently. They infect people on a smaller scale, ministerially, physically, but by their prayers, who knows the effects of the masses, of the union of the priests and the Eucharist and the cross in that moment to pray for the graces of the world so that the bishops can have a conversion of mind and heart to say, you know what, God called me more to be a CEO of a, of a corporation with a religious veneer that calls itself the Catholic Church. Do you think, when I ask you, fathers, do you think that this is something, you are from multiple dioceses here, 
uh, and again, many other priests that we've spoken to and done some stories and features on. Uh, do you think this is just sort of a widespread mentality among the bishops that, you know, as you characterize it, CEOs of a corporation, but something other than shepherds who have their spiritual sons, who have their spiritual children, and we're all trying to get to heaven? That's what all of this is about. And yet none of you seem to have any of that even close to that experience of any of this. Do you think this is just a widespread thing among the U.S. Episcopate? What have the last 15 months taught us, though? Maybe one of the reasons why they closed the church is they were afraid of, oh, somebody might say, well, they got sick at the Catholic Church. I mean, it's preposterous, but I mean, what kind of... If, you, if they thought as a father thought, they never would have done that. None of them would have done that. Two weeks, maybe, and then they're over. Um, so yeah, that sounds like a very uh, good explanation as to how they approach the office of the mitre. And it just staggers you. And no, you know, this isn't rocket science. All you need to know, they locked the churches and denied people the sacraments. So one job we're supposed to do, we're one thing, and they, did, they canceled it. Even as Planned Parenthood stayed open, we prayed by it. By the way, on the way here, we, we passed it and we, we prayed. Yeah, it was, it was pretty amazing. Father White, you have a bit of a... It's not exactly the COVID thing, but you are being threatened with having your priesthood completely taken away from you and busted down to the lay state. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As far as the shepherds, the fatherliness, uh, I think we all were shaken. I know I was to learn that the shepherd who gave me holy orders should have been in jail that very day uh, and talk about psychologically confusing thing to have happen. I th- you know, I speak for myself, but I think I speak for really a lot of Catholics, a lot of priests, a lot of Catholics uh, needing some kind of psychological recovery from something like that. Um, and I mean, I've found great inspiration from the way that uh, the victims of, of this particular predator, Theodore McCarrick, and other victims of other predators have found a way to do that, have, that have given us uh, the solution. <laughs> you know, the, the, the weaponization of, of psychology in our lives is something that most of us have had to deal with. The, the, the healing that victim survivors have experienced by speaking the truth openly, uh, confronting the evildoers with the truth, uh, that's that that's healing right there. That's that's inspiration, and that that has helped me enormously to uh, find a path from where I, I, thousands, tens of thousands, have lost the faith because of this kind of predation that we've seen systematically in our church. Uh, can, does, can, can I interrupt yeah. you, Father, and ask you, and then the other priest, how? Uh, Shocking was it to you as priests to hear senior members of the U.S. hierarchy like Donald Wuerl and uh, Kevin Farrell, who's now the Camerlingo of the church, flat out lie about what they knew about Theodore McCarrick. They flat out lied. They interviewed Cardinal Farrell, just for the sake of the audience and jog their memories, they interviewed Cardinal Farrell in the immediate aftermath, 
And he sat there and said, oh, I was shocked. I was shocked. And in reality, when the McCarrick report came out, down there buried in a footnote, I think it was on page 138, I can't remember what page it was on, doesn't matter. Uh, it says he knew about it in 2007. That's 11 years before the revelations became public. Lie, flat out lie. And Donald Whirl, oh, I didn't know anything about it. It was not like it's a crisis or a massive, massive crisis. And here we come to find out from his secretary, yeah, he knew all about it because here's all the papers and I turned them over. And Archbishop uh, you know, Vigano comes out and says, yep, these guys are all lying through their teeth. He said Donald Whirl is lying through his teeth. For your priesthoods, what kind of impact does that have on you men and other priests when, you, when all of this starts to come public? Father Altman, you, you talked about... Uh, uh, teaching the truth to the faithful, um, how about living the truth? Uh, and and uh, the reason I'm sitting here is because um, I just got fed up being on the inside. I was a Bishop Mullen's secretary. In Buffalo. Uh, in Buffalo, New York. Who has been dubbed the lying, cheating Bishop Malone of Buffalo. Yes, disgraced. <laughs> disgraced. Uh, disgraced. Disgraced. Uh, so, um, you know, ended up uh, recording uh, some of the meetings and, and showing to the people, uh, indeed, uh, that he is lying. You know, and um, it, it, sometimes people say, you know, uh, what I've done to the bishop. I said, no, I've done nothing to the bishop except let people hear his voice when he's in private, uh, in private meetings, you know. And, um, and my struggle is, is uh, that as our founder Jesus Christ taught us uh, the truth will set you free why are we hiding why are we lying about the truth you know and it's it's uh, it's simply to protect predators like McCarrick uh, monsters like other you know uh, a number of other predators around um, you know we we hide them and and uh, uh, shelter them and that's the reason for the lie, and and it's it's so contrary to what we are about as a church, you know, and and uh, so so my my own personal struggle is, you know, if if the bishops, so-called shepherds, are going at such an extent, you know, uh, uh, to to lie about such horrible things, how could you expect them to be to care for the faithful, to for their souls to be nourished, for for the salvation? You know, if they if they if they lie about and hide, and protect child rapists, you know, so so uh, we need to uh, sometimes wake up and realize, like you know, they're not just lying about McCarrick; they've been lying for the last 30, 40 years about what's been going on. In 2016, as a uh, bishop secretary, I had uh, uh, unfortunate task of uh, going through the secret archives in our diocese. That experience really, I, I consider as a rape almost to, to my soul, to see that decade after decade, these bishops knew what was going on. Number of victims came, 160 victims in Buffalo, that many files I, I was reviewing, um, came forward, described what happened to them, and the priest was removed from the parish and sent to a boys town. <laughs> You know, and this is this is not isolated incident. So, 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 you know, what what, what we're what we are uh, uh, seeing is 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 
uh, a total denial of truth about the past, then how could we uh, expect the bishops, uh, you know, to lead us to the truth if they cannot live it? So I don't want to paint all the bishops with the with the you know same uh, stroke, but you know the the um, I want to see for me the smell test for a shepherd is are they afraid of the truth? And 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 you know the 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 thing is. Uh, um, uh, uh, very important uh, to me personally, uh, you know, because it's what I saw on the inside is all about deceiving the faithful, yeah. hiring great PR firms, uh, PR people, uh, changing the narratives. It's not about the gospel. It's not about the works. It's not about the salvation, but the PR. Father, you're not well, your well, the, the dilemma for us is that if we speak the truth, if we expose this, if we uh, defend the faith and uh, preach it boldly as we're supposed to and speak about the corruption in the church, we are sidelined. So, and, and we have no other recourse. They are the bishops. They are in charge. Um, so if they remove us, they are effectively continuing the very problem that we're trying to address in, in speaking out. I mean, you're all sitting here right now, Father, if I interrupt you, and then no, please that, that, take it. You're all sitting here because, in essence what you've done needs to be silenced as part of the cover-up, the continuing cover-up. And if we don't have a, a medium like this, church militant, you know, there's going to be no way for us to speak. Uh, our pulpits have been taken away from us, and, uh, and we are separated from the people, at least uh, in, in my case. Um, we're forbidden to have contact with them. So how do we, how do we continue to be priests? Uh, how do we continue to be heralds of the of the gospel if 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 we are removed and there there is no other recourse this is my this is the great paradox the bishops uh, christ set up his church as a hierarchy right mm -hmm. so um we can't sideline them we can't become protestants we're not we can't open up shop and and, and uh, start our own church so w when the very structure itself is having these uh problems and we want to address them and we are removed from having any effect uh, in, in making any change, uh, it's just very frustrating, and that's why that's why we're here. Other fashions. Your original question, Michael: Why are we here? I, I've spoken to all the priests sitting here, and I can speak for myself now. I'm here, and I became a priest because you know I'm in love with the Catholic faith, and it's a hard doctrine. And when we speak about corruption in the church, in the hierarchy, or in whatever ranks. Um, you know, we, we all make mistakes. We all sin. I've certainly sinned in my life, and even sometimes grievously, but I've repented. And what we seem to be seeing is this lack of repentance. So you ask the question, you know, how does it make you feel when you hear these lies? And it's frustrating and discouraging because we became priests who inspire people to this faith that we're in love with but we want to be inspired too by our leaders and those who are over us and and i we're just not seeing that you know when you look at the senior leadership the cardinals of the church here in the u.s and very powerful archbishops uh who never talk about anything publicly or very seldomly talk about anything that you're talking about on the spiritual realm. It's always 
immigration reform, climate change. Uh, you know, Bishop McElroy came out and said uh, last year, I believe it was, you know, uh, stop placing so much virtue, so much emphasis on chastity. You know, it's, it's just it's just a virtue. It's no big deal. And he kept going on. And they're constantly it almost sounds like sideways fashion attacking the church and usurping it and trying to turn it into something that it's not. And yet here you all are saying, nope, sorry, shepherds, you got your priorities completely flipped around, completely flipped around. What's your response? If I might. Sure. Uh, I think we do have in common a couple of things we, we have in common uh, as Father Fashing just said so beautifully that we're in love with the Catholic faith, we're, we're in love with, with our Lord, and, and, uh, and I think we have in common that, that we trust Him, we, we trust in the, the genuine uh, source of life of the church, which is God and Jesus Christ. And so we have something to say about it. And and we 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 are inspired to bear witness to the truth that we believe in and trust, and for some reason that um, is interfering with a communications control program that is being imposed from an authority that is not strong but is in fact quite weak, mm-hmm. uh, because the the strong authority doesn't fear the free speech of honest men trying to bear witness to the to the foundational truths of the church. Uh, so um, let's uh, I, I try to hold on to that trust that that ultimately, even though there might be other authorities trying to exercise limited power over us at this moment in history, uh, that that the Lord is is the one who runs the show in the end. And we we I think the other thing we have in common here is that we know we have to answer to him above all. And that's what we're trying to I wanted stay true to. I want to segue on uh, what Father Mark said. Again, when I was abused by uh, Reverend Lawrence Cozy in 1982, the very... And, and just for the audience's sake, Father, you were sexually assaulted by a priest. Uh, you put it down as a rape in the middle of the night when I was working as an orderly in a nursing home in which he orchestrated making certain, um, so it, it took place in a night with very few, there's like next to no staff on board in, in a back area of the facility in the lower level. So and that was it, before you were a priest. Yeah, and so, and it never happened again because I walked out of that facility, it's the only job I've ever walked out of. I was a orderly with responsibility for like 20 some patients and I walked off the job after it happened. And, I, and I, the first thing I did was go to my good pastor, Father Corbo, and spill my guts out. And I spent the whole morning there just uh, sitting there in a chair. But, and I watched him go to task as a good priest and pastor that he was, calling Bernadine's chancellor and reporting everything that happened. And it was reported that day. Um, I was never to go back to that facility again. Uh, he orchestrated me going back to school early, so I came back to Detroit uh, for my studies early and got back on track with getting my life together, which really took about 12 years because uh, I was with the Franciscans at the time, summer at home with family, doing my job as an orderly, uh, which I was trained for. So that being said, 
Um, Did anything ever come against Father Cozy? Not at all. And that's that's the whole thing. Father Cozy was a classmate of Bishop World at the North American College. They are the same class. Similarly, the provincial for uh, the Scalabrinians, who's a Scalabrinian priest, was also of that same class. These are all boys, spoke Italian, English, and they, they were all uh, fast-tracked for making it good in the church. However, um, Father Cozy, because of his predilection for kids, got in trouble very early. He was in charge of the high school seminary the Scalabrinians had in the Stone Park in Illinois. He was uh, removed as rector for uh, messing with too many of the boys there. And, and years later, I would meet up with them with support groups, other, the other individuals that were uh, abused by this man. So, was uh, he Father, Father, uh, the priest that abused me was taken out early in his uh, 50s um, by, uh, I, I always put it, they said he died from diabetes um, at 55, but uh, I always put it down for uh, AIDS. Probably. Again, there's no fact, but it is what it is. Um, so, But he died a priest. He died a priest, and he was given uh, honors and all of the above when he passed away. Even though they knew it, they are the ones it, who took him though, out. Even though multiple victims made what played out happened happened. So, uh, you know, classic example. And then in uh, circa 2008, um, you know, in the aftermath of spending almost seven months at St. Luke's, uh, you know, one of the therapy programs was to uh, write up what happened to me and present it to uh, responsible authorities. So that was done. So everybody in the Archdiocese of uh, Chicago got a full copy. I, I met with witnesses, with uh, Cardinal Francis George. He knew uh, who was involved with what played out. Um, similarly, I met with the uh, classmate provincial Scalabrinian for Father Cozy, classmate of world. And uh, you know, after going through the spiel of what played out with myself, uh, this man said, oh, I never, you know, it, 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 it takes your breath away, the audacity of these guys and how they go about lying. Oh, I um, never knew he had a drinking problem. Because the, you know, the, uh, the, the abuse, he was, you know, he was the guy that, in charge of a couple hundred bed facility, totally intoxicated when this all plays out. So, uh, so it's, it's bizarre. Again, you know, they, it's, it, it, all said, you know, this month it's three years since the McCarrick, you know, the uh, revelations came, came out, and nothing has changed. Absolutely nothing has changed. You have these favorite guys that uh, are promoted to episcopacy and whatnot, and uh, just look the other way with respect to jettisoning their vows. And the rest of it in a temporal fashion. No, but, you know, this this the the thing is, these guys get away with lying because the media, in all respects, supports the narrative of the lie. Right. Nobody, no, n nobody in Catholic media has ever, ever talked to me about anything that happened. You know, you know, it, you know. When you think about it, it's phenomenal how an individual who was abused not once but twice in the course of his youth came full circle after working out in the community uh, for 11 years 
to become a priest. You know, which was my, you know, when I was four years of age, I wanted to be a priest. And that was all put on hold for a long period of time because of what played out with Father Cozy's rape of me in that facility all those years back. You know, because I couldn't uh, put it together in my head how on the one hand you can have this guy celebrating Mass every day in front of a bunch of nuns in this uh, health facility. And then on the other hand, you know, he's messing with uh, the male staff. Um, it is what it is. It's, it's, you, you, you actually bring up a really good point, Father. The institution has, I think by its own actions, uh, more than the veneer, but probably the substance, not spiritually, talking temporally, uh, of just being flat out corrupt. It's corrupt, it's a network, it protects its own, it does whatever it does, and that includes not just the bishops, but the people who keep the bishops in place by never doing stories about them. And that's why we here have earned their you know, great respect. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> uh, because we'll just say, you know, to blazes with it. We need to tell the truth. You're all victims. The people who are now deprived of your love for them through your priesthood, they are victims. The sexual abuse people, uh, victims, are victims, the survivors, but they're victims of it all. And all of this entire thing is being protected and covered up by these men. And they promote each other, they advance each other, they shut up for each other, they cover for each other. And you're all witnesses to that, plus all the other hundreds of priests that we speak to. And yet here you are, essentially stranded and attacked by these very men because all you want to do is speak the truth. You know, we, we were talking last night about it being a systemic problem. Systemic. Systemic in the church. Yeah. Or I like the swamp is another word for it too. Uh, it is very systemic. I didn't mean to cut you off, but it does seem to me, I mean, even when you look at, oh, there's nine of us here, right? Mm -hmm. Aren't there 20 in Rockford? That I mean, just, that God, people don't know the extent that this happens. And something else too is that, okay, so we know about Pharaoh, and we know about world, knowing knowing what they did, and they flat how to put lied through their teeth. How right? Vigano said it. Yeah. So, so why aren't the other bishops saying something? Because silence is complicity. Yes. So we can say, well, maybe you know, a third or whatever percentage. We're, we're just like, I mean, I'm just shocked by these stories that I'm hearing. Uh, that were like what he, what he was talking about, and and. He came aware. How many? Hundred and some files. Hundred sixty. Yeah, and and I'm shocked by this. Well, right now it's up to five hundred, but hundred sixty in Buffalo alone. Yeah, and that probably represents only about ten percent of victims in our area. Yeah, some of the victims won't come forward. Some of them yeah. have died. Some of them just don't want to be bothered reliving it. So but that's that was a minimum. But that was known for 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 years and years before. So yeah. it's not like the victims haven't been coming forward. They have. And that's the lie I heard as a priest. Oh, that's been taken care of. That's a long time ago. We have policies in place. And then you come across, it's like, they lie even to us. And if the shepherds know it, because everybody, listen, nobody did not know what McCarrick was up to. Why are they not speaking up and speaking out against them? And and because they'll incorporate, you know, that's why. That's why you know it's a network. Yeah. As you pull one thread and the whole thing comes down. Yeah. Father, you had something to, say, to yeah. add. One of the things I'm so grateful for, for this initiative, um, we got to talk together beforehand and just being inspired and encouraged by my brothers who have been suffering this much longer than I have. You, you, you struggle with, because we love the Lord and we love his church, we don't want to create scandal. Because our Lord tells us if we create scandal, it would be better for a millstone to be tied around us and thrown into the sea. But as I wrestled with that, the Lord gave me the conviction that failing to speak the truth 
and participating in the cover-up, that's the scandal. Amen. So it's time to rip the band-aid off and to let God's people see exactly what's going on behind the scenes. Um, another reason why I was encouraged to come here is about a month ago, I had an opportunity to talk with a, a brother priest and he's going through the exact same thing that I went through. That is, they're threatening him with the psychoval because of anger issues. If he refuses to go to the psychoval, they're just going to sideline him. And when I saw a tear in his eyes, and his gut response was, I'm just going to leave the priesthood, that's when I realized we need to do something. Because if this mechanism of defaming and sidelining priests, if something isn't done, it's never going to stop. And so I'm just so grateful for this opportunity to hear the uh, testimony of my brothers and to be encouraged by them. Do do any of you fathers feel that your presence here is being disobedient? Not at all. I'm trying to speak the truth. So how could that be against obedience and the church's teaching, you know? So I think a lot of people, a lot of Catholic faithful think that no matter what the bishop or a bishop tells a priest to do, he must do it or he's disobedient. You guys care to disabuse the audience of that? Again, that uh, concept of blind obedience, I don't know where it comes from, but it's definitely not found in sacred scripture, nor is it part of our tradition. We look closely. Many of the saints over the years have bucked the authorities of the time, whether it's king or bishop. So again, uh, a priest makes a vow primarily to God to be obedient to all things in faith and morals. He doesn't make a a promise to any man to uh, follow every dictate that comes from his mouth on a given day. It just does not work that way. You know, so for example, you know, you look back historically in the aftermath of World War II and the Nuremberg trials, uh, many of the soldiers that, you know, gave tests and, oh, you know, but uh, I was just just doing, just following orders. And it's like, when did we subvert what was rational and good to be obedient to some authority, some man? It's bizarre. So, uh, you know, that sort of, uh, and you, so you, you see this, you know, it's, oh, you know, the, the, uh, the bishop uh, told us that we have to lock up the churches. So, so how does that work with keeping the third commandment? You know, it's one of those questions that, that comes to your mind immediately. So, so uh, you know, we're called, we've always understood as Roman Catholics that you keep the Sabbath by going to church with other parishioners and if in a state of grace, receiving the sacrament of Holy Communion. Right. That's how we keep the Sabbath. We don't keep the Sabbath by, you know, sitting around at home and turning on a TV set and trying to catch a uh, on online mass online mass somewhere and hope the camera works. <laughs> Father, you had a comment. Yes, sir. I, 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 I'm so proud of these priests because uh, I know that they would never go outside of the church, and I believe every single one of us would even give our live blood before we would uh, be separated from the church. And we recognize her structure from the beginning established by the Lord. So the the hierarchy 
It's absolutely essential to the life of the church. Absolutely. But just like when I serve in the, I serve in the prisons back in Texas, and beautiful, faithful men and women, and I tell them oftentimes, you're just as much a part of the body of Christ as any priest or bishop. And I believe uh, in in the struggles of these times, it's going to take the laity to rise up and do their part to put the house of God in order anew. I, I think that that's absolutely critical because the pain of of the realities that are taking place are nothing new, but I think even more... Uh, more painful and prevalent than even in the beginning. It's like the Lord Himself said, if this had been done to me by an enemy, I could bear His taunts. <laughs> but it's you, my own intimate friend. And the sad reality that I've come to see in, in, in our time is that there are many Judas priests. Yeah. I'd like to ask you this. It uh, might be somewhat sensitive, but... Hey, what the heck? We're all, all friends here. Uh, the, um, when the original John Jay report came out in 2004, based on all the revelations of the Boston Globe's you know, excellent reporting uh, on the sex abuse and all of that, initially the John Jay report laid it all out. Uh, it was roughly 80 to 85% of the sexual abuse victims were teenage, physically mature teenage males. Well, that doesn't speak to just a generic sex abuse problem. That speaks to a homosexual sex abuse problem. And we weren't dealing with pedophilia, which is prepubescent. We were dealing largely, way by and large, with uh, aphebophilia, which is essentially pederasty. How much more disturbing is it that it's not just sex abuse being covered up, but... You men have all been in seminary. You've all seen, <laughs> seen and heard many things in seminary that are untoward. Uh, you have other priest friends who've told you, wow, this place is gay, I left it, blah, just on and on and on like that. How much do you think the current crisis in the church and what you're feeling the effects of is due to uh, homosexuality within the ranks of priests and bishops? Father. I would say 100% of what we're experiencing. Mm -hmm. um, Would you all agree when, with that? He just said 100%. Yes. When, yes. When, when, when Father Stephen spoke about the importance, and maybe Father Jeff touched on that too, that um, if, you know, if we do sin, we have to repent, right? And so the nine of us here, we don't have any fetish with any particular sin, right? It's like we're not homophobes. We don't hate homosexuals, and we're not afraid of them, right? But it's that unrepentant sin, it's saying something that is a sin is not a sin. That's when you end up having to live a double life. You become a whitewashed tomb because you're not able to be sincere. You're not able to be yourself, right? So you have this corruption within you and you don't repent. You don't ask Jesus for grace or mercy. So if our bishops were struggling with adultery and they were saying that adultery is not a sin, it would be the same issue. So it's not that we have a fetish for any particular sin or any particular vice. It's the unrepentant sin. And it's saying that a sin is not a sin. That's where the issue is. And you, know, in my own experience, 
I'll never forget the day in November of 2019 when a family came to me with serious concerns that an employee of the Archdiocese was homosexually grooming their college-age son. And I had to hear that testimony. And when I was all of a sudden put in the middle of the investigation, and at a certain point I was told there's nothing that can be done. Right? Well, having heard the pain that those parents were going, we're talking about 2019, this is that point that nothing's changed, right? So then when I pushed back, and there had to be a, a, another investigation, another interview, then once again the, the response was, there's nothing that can be done. That's when I started to yell on the phone. What do you mean there's nothing that can be done? If I called and said that a priest was sexually harassing my 23-year-old daughter, but my daughter's not comfortable coming and talking about it right now, you tell me there's nothing that could be done? And so to me, it's that's the corruption that's at the core of so many of our problems because the people in the establishment can't be sincere because they're not willing to repent. And so they just become whitewashed tombs. And that weakness, Michael, the you know, whether it be the homosexuality and the unrepentance or the you know, the not telling the truth, the lying, is hampering our ability. I mean for me, it's hampered my ability to simply speak uh, the gospel message, authentic Catholicism, boldly and clearly, because that's what I do. And for that... That's what you've gotten in trouble for. I have gotten in trouble for preaching about things like the reality of hell, uh, that a whole host of doctors of the church have taught us that most people aren't going to heaven. Um, you know, I preach about the doctrine of fraternal correction. Um, and yeah, it's amazing how I'm not supported, you know, by those who are over me for simply preaching that truth. You know, our our faith is a beautiful faith, but it's a it's a difficult doctrine, but not one that we can't live because Christ asks us to live it, and He always will give us the grace to live it. But because of this weakness that we're all highlighting, it, it does, you know. Even the bishops have trouble when we preach hard truths like that, at least in my experience, it's, it's been that. Do you think there is a, uh, th that by and large, perhaps not every single bishop in the U.S., but by and large, there is a sympathy way beyond what it needs to be for homosexuality, within their own ranks. And I will share, without saying who the bishop was, I was kind of floored. I was having a private conversation with the bishop a number of years ago, right at, just in the wake of the McCarrick stuff. And I men made mention to him about, well, you know, this is this, this all homosexuality here. This is McCarrick. It was all boys and seminarians and blah, blah, blah. And uh, I could see he was slightly put off by the underlying assumption that it was homosexuality and he said to me and I really have to say I was really like knocked back particularly because of who it was coming from he said why well, he was a bishop he said well I know many bishops who are gay and I was just shocked when he said it and he referenced well you know they're being celibate or you know whatever I'm just, and the immediate question that came to my mind was 
Well, first of all, how do you know they're being celibate? Secondly, how do you know they're gay? Not celibate, chaste. And how do you know they're gay? Why are they telling you that? If this is something they're all fine with and it's, and it's all compartmentalized correctly and they've treated spiritually and all, and all this stuff, if everything's fine, why are they telling you that? And how do you know that what they're telling you is true? And you, as we here at Church Milton, all the 60-plus people work here, and we hear all these phone calls, and we get all these emails and visits from like yourselves and others, all we constantly hear is that there is this network of gay men who administer the seminaries, run the seminaries, appoint the rectors of the seminaries, climb their way up, protect each other, advance each other, and everybody else who is some threat to that structure is too rigid, needs to be marginalized, needs to be sidelined, you have anger problems, you need to be institutionalized, and that's what's really running the show here. And I think that's coming out more and more. Your thoughts? I, as a seminarian, I was assaulted by a priest. And, um, excuse me, how many of you have ever been approached either as a priest or a seminarian by another priest sexually? Wow. Wow. For me, it happened during the night. Um, uh, when I woke up, the priest was there behind, behind me. Um, when I reported it to the diocese, I ended up being blackmailed by Exerly Bishop. Well, later on, I found out he was a classmate of that priest, Father Art Smith. Uh, I was told it was my fault, and they locked the door. Uh, and uh, how old were you, Father? At the time? I was 21. But what was difficult? I was just uh, freshly arrived in this country. I all I knew at that point it was how to order latte at uh, Starbucks, perhaps, <laughs> not to re- how to report a, a sexual assault. And, and, you know, uh, I remember just going to a dictionary just to <laughs> find words to describe, you know, what, what happened. And, and then, um, but then I, when I went to see the bishop, uh, bishop who was in charge of the diocese at that time, uh, I was like filled with hope because I was hoping like, you know, he, he'll help me, you know, to deal with this crazy guy, you know, a sick fellow. And he says, you know, Richard, unless you shut up, you'll not be ordained a priest. And implied that if I, if I don't uh, stop speaking about this, uh, I'll be deported back to Poland. And, you know, it was my uh, uh, conviction at that time, and still is, that I was called and made by God to be a priest. And it's very hard to, to, to what do I do? Do I... Uh, then go to the press, go, go to police and sacrifice a dream, a vocation, and... and it's a uh, lot for a 21-year-old to process. Exactly. And see, see but you know, what, what I realized is, is the, 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 the situation that seminarians are in, you know, the, the vulnerable, uh, being so vulnerable, like, you know, you have, you have no rights, canonical rights. Even as pastors, you know, some guys have some rights. But as a seminarian, you could be dismissed uh, for reason, whatsoever reason. So if you, um, you know, try to disrupt the predatory culture, of course they're going to get rid of you, you know, unless you conform. And, or at in, least stay silent. Or stay silent, you know. And, and I was... I was um, um, that's one of the, my big regrets is that I did not go to the press. Why? Because then I found out later on, uh, Father Smith victimized several people after me. Father, how old are you now? 
I'm 40 years old. Before and it still old. hurts. It still hurts that, you know, um, I chose to be a priest instead of blowing in the predator. And those are the choices that as the seminarians you face. So, so I, I think, you know, if, if people want to see change, is they need to, we need to do something for the seminarians so they don't have to be in such situation again. So, so I'm not sure what, what it might be, but there must be some solution to it that, that you know, uh, uh, that the culture, um, because it, what happens in the seminaries, the, the reason why there are so many predators around it, because it's an easy prey. You have no voice, no rights. And then you invite guys from all over the world. You're on a student visa. And, you know, I went to consult a, a, an attorney. And, you know, uh, if, if I report to the police, well, they'll dismiss me from the seminary. I have to leave the country. How do I defend myself and, and, and you know, from, from, from another country? Barely speaking the language, nor the culture. So, so um, but, but I know many other seminarians uh, uh, have been in a similar situation, you know, and 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 they're 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 uh, um, it's laying very heavy on my heart to advocate for change of how seminaries are run, that men you know can stand up uh, and and have some backing, you know, uh, of, of the people of, of I don't know of the institution cannot expect you know some something needs to change because. Um, you know, uh, later on, it's like, what do you do as a priest? You know, do I sacrifice my priesthood? If I say something, I know some of my brother priests are afraid to, to stand up and, and preach the truth or tell the truth because they might be 60 years old and they don't have much savings. How will I live? You know, what do I do? You know, we don't make a lot of money, and sometimes, you know, if, you, if, you, if your family doesn't give you money, where do you get it from? So, so you're de totally dependent on the bishop. The moment you're suspended, you, lo you lose a lot of, or, or all of your income. And those are the choices that, that you know, somebody might be facing. You know, am I you know, going to uh, be uh, honest and, and challenge or tell the truth? Uh, and, and, or how am I going to provide for my medication? You know, if I cut me off uh, from the insurance, I have this, you know, expensive medication I need to take. Mm -hmm. and, um, uh, but that's, that's priesthood. Seminaries are far more vulnerable. And 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 this is this is uh, what's what's uh, what I shared with you is is many many men um, uh, had similar experience. I've I've, I've spoken. I, I to, just want to then, yeah. add one thing here: the entire system, as it has been set up by the lavender mafia, has to be scrapped. Just 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 to take along one thing: when uh, Bernadine passed away in '96. They had us seminarians going to the airport, picking up bishops and whatnot for his funeral. I had the grace of being given, and again, this is all by design now, but I picked up Archbishop Quinn, brought him in downtown to this hotel, went, went back out to the, and I picked up also McCarrick. So, you know, uh, again, it just galls me now, all these years later, to just to reflect on that system that put a predator having, a, at the time I was uh, 36, 37, uh, 37. 
years of age, nothing was going to happen. But, you know, McCarrick with 40 bucks at the time to uh, a guy not working in the seminary was a lot of money. Oh, you want to come up to my room for a drink? It's like, what absolute BS to have a system that puts predators in the, in, and seminary, vulnerable seminaries close together, you know, with money in hand to entice them to a private spot. Father Perone, you saw in your seminary years uh, much of all of this up close. Here we are talking about things that have happened in the last 20 years or so. This goes back for you 50 years. This is systemic. It's nonstop. It just keeps going. Right. Uh, right across from my room in the seminary, we knew that uh, this homosexual activity was going on. But there was no way we could report it. Because if we did, then we would be the problem. And, and you knew that then? We knew it. We all knew it. Uh, everyone knew this was going on. And we also knew that we would be penalized if we, if we spoke up. So everyone just kept quiet about it. We laughed about it. We joked about it. I mean, what, what, can, what can you do about it? So did those uh, men was, go on to be ordained? Uh, no. Thank God. The, the, these two, no, did not. But many did. Sure, I, I presume. I mean, I, yes. I don't know who's who uh, in in my uh, experience at the seminary, except what's come out, you know, since since that time. But uh, um, yeah, it was it, it was there was an oppressive spirit that we had to keep our mouths shut, uh, otherwise we would be we would be the, the problem instead of they being the problem. Now you've reached an older age where you didn't keep your mouth shut, and you're the problem. So, <laughs> your instincts back then were right, Father. It's true that there's no place in the priesthood of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, for any of that kind of uh, sentiment. And uh, because it's absolutely contrary to the gospel, it's an abomination. And it's also true that a person, a man who struggles with a temptation like that uh, should never be the one to go chasing to the priesthood because of the spiritual uh, struggle that it becomes more intense than any other uh, temptation. And that's why uh, the church has long had that sentiment in her history. Uh, but it's true that uh, I would say that's one of the, the greatest uh, root causes of the problems that we face in, in, in the modern church. Homosexuality among the Yes, parties. and in fact, uh, I raised my hand when you asked if, if, if ever it was uh, uh, affronted to my, to my own person. And some, you know, uh, when I've spoken about these things or anybody speaks about it, sometimes they'll say, uh, well, if you speak against that, you're a homophobe or it's uh, because you're too rigid. And that's not true at all. It happened uh, in privacy or in private. I could have crushed this man, uh, but I desired for his conversion authentically and to be true to God. Uh, when I reported some things when I was in the seminary, it put off my ordination to the Holy Priesthood for more than a year. Hold that point for just a second. How many of you has that either happened to you or you have other friends who are priests who had ordination delayed because they were telling, hey, here's what's going on? Father, you too? Yes. Uh, good. Continue, Bob. And, and so that's why uh, 
you know, these, these problems are deep, as we mentioned, systemic, and uh, we can never uh, relent on the fight to renew the church. I think that that's, that's what has to take place. We've seen in the past, in the time of Dominic and Francis, Teresa of Avila, great champions in the past. I was telling the brothers this morning, we need some saints. And they were like, yeah, we need some saint bishops. And I'm like, amen. <laughs> amen. Saint bishops. We, and we can't give up. We can't uh, relent. And as I mentioned earlier, St. Paul said to be courageous for, for the church. Because we can never go out of the church. Of course not. Father? One thing I wanted to add is that this is not pure speculation in terms of, the, gee, I wonder if this could be the case. I remember in the late 90s, Father Pavone, um, in his Priests for Life newsletter, he published an excerpt from a militant homosexual magazine in the 70s in which they laid out their game plan. They said, we are going to infiltrate you, Catholic Church. We're going to infiltrate your curias, your seminaries, your schools, your parishes, and we're going to destroy you. So there is at least some evidence of a plan that was orchestrated, put into place by a few or by many to infiltrate our Holy Church so as to destroy it. In some charitable terms, what do you men who have dedicated your lives to the truth of the faith and sacraments and saving souls and all of that, how do you respond when you see not just this particular priest, but many like him, but him in highlighting Father James Martin being invited into your dioceses, being invited on Zoom calls and conferences and having busloads of thousands of teenage high school students brought to him, and bishops, cardinals, endorsing his book. And he is all this celebration. And you would be hard-pressed to find a single bishop in the United States that will speak out against him. Yet you're all sitting here representing hundreds of others uh, who are sidelined for the exact opposite. Your thoughts? It's, it's, it's truly disgusting, and it's a reversal of roles of what a bishop should do to protect and defend the Catholic faith instead of promoting uh, not the Catholic faith and, not, and protecting not the Catholic faith. You know, pr- promoting sin is not the Catholic faith. It's never been. Repent of your sin and believe in the gospel. Uh, in that respect, you know, why are we all here? It's to call to mind conversion among the clergy, among the brother priests, among the brother seminarians, among the, the, uh, the bishops, uh, or, you know, or those above us in authority. Now, what causes that conviction? It's conversion. And, it, and it, it points to God being above all else, the greatest love of your life, and there's nothing that should stop you from loving God. No sin, no relationship, no power, no, so, no, source of, no, no position of authority should be greater than your love for Jesus Christ. Amen. And whenever you receive the reconciliation, and the power, forgiveness, and the confessional of whatever sin it is, because homosexuality or any other sexual sins, they want to convict you of you're the worst person in the world. And if somebody knew about those sins, then I'm just going to melt into oblivion. I'm going to be less than pond scum. And the, and the, the reality is, is that we are all never, mer- we never merited 
anything good in this life save what Christ has given to us in salvation. And it is a free gift of grace and is so wonderful. And this this gift of repentance and forgiveness and restoration is given to us in the confessional. And the book of the Apocalypse says clearly the accuser of our brothers is cast out. And we, what, what you're experiencing, the systemic oppression of good priests is a systemic oppression of the faith because that's what the devil does. Because that's the accuser. And whenever we don't live a life of reconciliation and saying, okay, yes, I have sinned. You know, part of the reflection of the last five years, yes, I have sinned. But I'm also paying for the sins of others. And there's temporal punishment due to sin. And it's okay to suffer penance to restore my state in life. And to say, you know what, I did sin, but I'm not going to live in my sin. I'm going to move forward. I know that the, the, the power of Christ is greater than my sins. And, in the, and, and I'm preaching to the bishops right now. There is no sin that is unforgivable, and the people of God are very forgiving if you're honest with your sinfulness. And if you're honest in saying, Christ needs to be the center of my life again, because Christ is the center of the church. And I need my authority to stem from the lifeblood of the faith, which is a fountain. And whenever your faith is that fountain of grace is flowing, then we can be you can be the shepherd that you're called to be instead of the CEO of a corporation. That's not going to get you into heaven. Being a good shepherd will get you into heaven, not being a hireling entering through the gate and the gate is Jesus Christ and Christ crucified. And if there was a moment to say, you want a really clean house, you have to really be specific about sin and bring it out into the open and saying, you know what? I am a sinner and I'm, I'm, I know what? I am worthless and I am spineless and I need to be recreated. You know, Jesus Christ is a carpenter. He can fix the church if we give him the permission to. And you give him permission to when you, permit, when you uh, stop going to confession with the same people that have heard your confession for decades and are giving you, oh, it's okay, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. No, it's not okay. Wasting every single priest that's here is worth a half a million dollars in education and other subsequent funding. So you're looking at almost a billion dollars of the people of God's money thrown away because bishops cannot love God more than the money. They can't love God more than their sins. They can't love God more than their positions of authority and power that were given to them because they decided to play the game. And salvation is not a game. Well said, Father. I wanted to add one more thing to uh, what's playing out, particularly with respect to uh, sins of the flesh. You know, we're living in a society now that has no shame. And uh, no behavior is thought as shameful. So, you know, what you have playing out with individuals like Jim Martin, who go out there and validate people's sinful behavior as if it was a good. Those are individuals who will never be saved. Those are individuals who will never walk with Christ because, in large part, their sinful behavior, you know, has been given a, a okay, a, a slap on the back, and affirming something that is bad as a good. So Jesus made great headway with the woman at the well in John's Gospel because she came to the well in shame so that she wouldn't meet up with nobody at high noon in the heat of the day. It was in that conversation with our Lord who spoke to her 
who didn't want to speak to anybody, um, that she came to a relationship with Christ and repent of who she was. And, oh, well, I've heard you. That's, I've had more than five husbands, so, you know. This man knows everything I've ever done. Well, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out a woman slinking to the well in the heat of the day is doesn't want to meet up with anybody. So uh, when somebody in their spiritual journey encounters them feeling guilty because of this, that, or the next thing, it's a good. And we should uh, bring that to God and ask God to remove the sin and go on. So Father was talking here about conversion. So... The opposite is happening with these uh, individuals pushing sin in its various forms, whether it's uh, divorce and remarriage and then receiving communion or, or the whole, oh, you know, love is love. That kind of stuff is flagrantly not based in sacred scripture that we know, and it's something other. So, Father, uh, we've got to wrap up on, yeah. on time with it, but uh, if we can... Uh, if I can ask you if you, any of you would like to give us just sort of a final thought. Uh, and then, Father Perone, you're the uh, senior here. No, no, not in black. <laughs> if you could lead us uh, in a Hail Mary to, to conclude. Father? So we're talking about a systemic problem. And, and um, my, my question still I'm, I'm pondering is how come um, the uh, predatorial uh, cultural behavior can exist in the church? And we're talking, you know, issues with homosexual predatory behavior in this country. But if you look at the plight of nuns in Africa or in India, how many of them are raped? And how come this, you know, as an institution that is promoting the, the, uh, the truth, the care, the love, the forgiveness, is allowing uh, this uh, predatorial culture around the world, including my own country in Poland, uh, exist? What is wrong with the way we are set up, the institutions are set up, that, that such predatorial behavior is, is allowed to flourish? Mm -hmm. Well said. Father? We're praying for the U.S. bishops that are meeting this week. And uh, back in 2006, I had been a missionary all over the world for seven years, came back home to my archdiocese, my home diocese in San Antonio, and there were seven men discerning to the seminary and we met with Archbishop Jose Gomez who was at that time the Archbishop of San Antonio and we had mass it was on Father's Day 2006 and after we went out to eat and he was listening to us speak and and he said all that I need is men who will know and teach the truth of the faith and the catechism of the Catholic Church. And I believe if that was to take place, and we pray for that to these bishops, that all of these problems would go away. Yes, we're, we, are, we are promised that. Absolutely. Fathers, last comment, Father? Yeah, just a, a word of encouragement to all of our brother priests that are out there um, to have the courage that if the Lord asks them to shed light into the darkness, to speak the truth, that they'd have the courage to do it. And you know, all of us here would say it's not going to be easy and it's probably not going to end up well. But to be a man of integrity and to be able to speak the truth and to be able to have the courage um, because of our love of Christ and His church, um, 
that might be part of what could lead to this conversion and, and this repentance is if enough of us had the courage um, to shed light into the darkness. You had a couple thousand priests like yourself all speaking out. We can put 2,000 people in here for the interview. If you had a couple thousand priests, that would be quite the statement, wouldn't it? But, but they don't because of what he was saying, that they're all afraid because these, you call them monsters and mitres. That was an amazing phrase. They, this is what happens. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think what we need to do, hopefully this gives everybody courage to realize they're not alone and something has to be done um, or else these monsters and mitres will continue their oppressive and, and evil and godless ways in, in the church. Uh, until that changes, you know, they, they don't seem to grasp this one simple concept, I'll just leave it with this then, is that the people are fed up with it. We're done. They're just sick and tired of those people doing what they're doing. And when they see, suddenly, they'll see, oh, there's a lot of us. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there will be a rallying. And they will, well, Archbishop Fulton said it 70 years ago, you've got to rely on the people because the priests and the bishops are not going to do it. Well, we are. And uh, so, yeah, Rick, rise up. Well said. <laughs> Father from lead us in a prayer to our blessing. I would just Father. like to say a personal thing is that maybe God is using the suffering of, of the priests who have been sidelined uh, for some greater, greater end. And so, you know, we shouldn't. Um, I'm just uh, speaking for myself here. I've come to realize that I may be doing more good for my people in exile uh, mm-hmm. than I would be for them uh, if I were in the parish mm-hmm. um, in some ways that only only God knows. And if I unite myself with Christ crucified, that he will make good of this circumstance. So I, I just, you know, I, I, I'm grateful for this opportunity of being with these other priests. Uh, it, it helps me. And I, and I hope it's uh, it's good for the faithful uh, to hear it as well. Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Mother of priests, pray, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Fathers, on behalf of Church Militants, we have our own Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Thanks for subscribing and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.